Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, as Charles mentioned a moment ago, my name is Tom Gibbs. I'm the new president at Covenant Theological Seminary, but prior to here in St. Louis, I served for 19 years as the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, and had the privilege of preaching back in October, and it's great to be back again with you one more time. And this morning, it's also a privilege uh, to conclude your sermon series on living by faith. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, but you can also see that passage refers back to Joshua chapters 5 and 6. We'll be looking at those passages too. This is the familiar story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And if you grew up in the church at all, then you know this story, probably remembering that uh, little song we sang, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And that song is wonderful in that it reinforces a story from the Scriptures. And yet, in terms of conveying the truth of this passage, it falls far short. Because it leads us to believe that Joshua was the one fighting this battle, but, but in fact, that's not the case. As we will learn this morning, Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. He could not have fought the battle of Jericho because he was not up for that fight. But what God led Joshua to do, as we learn in chapter 11, is believe, is trust. The Lord led Joshua to faith. It was the Lord's fight to fight. And friends, if we're to learn anything this morning from God's word, it's how we might grow in that same faith that leads us in those same and similar battles that he leads us as his people. So let's give our attention to God's word both Hebrews chapter 11, as well as Joshua, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 5. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, Why does my Lord, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every one straight before him." Friends, uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word that you have given to us according to your ministering spirit. 
We pray not only its truth, but its authority would live in our hearts this day, that we would believe all that you promise, and that we would be ready to do all that you command. For your glory and our great and abiding joy, we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Anybody remember these words? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. What I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, I will not pursue you. That will be the end of it. I will not look for you. But if you don't, I will look for you, and I will find you, and I will kill you. You, you know that story. It comes from that familiar movie, Taken, starring Liam Neeson, plays Bryant Mills. Those words come after his daughter had been uh, captured and taken by gangsters in some Mediterranean um, Eastern European city, and he's coming to her rescue. And those words are so memorable to us, not only for the visceral rhetoric, but also because they stir a kind of longing in our hearts that, right, somehow maybe the ordinary guy can be a hero, that we might be up for the challenges that are before us in our lives. And we all have that kind of longing, don't we? That maybe we can be that hero. I'm not talking about the superheroes of Superman and Thor, those from other planet, planets. No, I'm talking about those more ordinary heroes of, well, Brian Mills and, well, Ethan Hunt and John McClane and, Jason Bourne, they always seem up for the obstacles that they meet, that they're never outmatched and overwhelmed. But of course, the truth is hard to avoid, isn't it? Right? We like those movies not only because we dream of being those characters one day, but perhaps more likely because of this escape that they offer in real life, the obstacles that we face, the battles that are in front of us, all overwhelm us, overwhelm our wits and our resources. We don't feel like heroes. We feel like failures. Think, think about the challenges that, that you have in your life, even this day, even as those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have been set free from the gospel, who have the empowering Holy Spirit, we so often feel overwhelmed as we contemplate our lives. In our jobs, we've stopped dreaming about being successful. Now we just want to survive. As we parent our children, we're thinking, why is it that my children just won't obey? I've read every book. I've prayed every prayer. And when you're a children, and as you get older, you think, why are my parents not happy with me? What do I have to do to earn their affection and approval? And what about the chronic illness that, that assails us? Th th those diseases that sap our energy, or the cancer that comes, not just once, but twice, and three, and four times. 
And we think, God, what are you doing? And it's so hard to have faith. And thinking about losing, we battle the temptation that, that remains, that those besetting sins that assault our heart, and we begin to think over time, is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep striving? Is resistance significant? I know I'm going to fail anyway. Why not just give in to, to the flesh? And so, so how do we fight? How do we battle when we're not the Christian version of Jason Bourne or Ethan Hunt? Well, if you haven't guessed it by now, our passage from Joshua, I think, has a lot to say about that, that the reference in Hebrews is calling to mind that last leg in the journey of the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And just as they cross the River Jordan, they come across among the most significant of cities in the land of Canaan, Jericho, which verse 1 tells us was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel were new. Numerous, but make no mistake about it, Jericho was a mighty city. Taking the city wasn't going to be easy. Indeed, without the help of the Lord, it was going to be impossible. And that's a recurring theme. Not only in the book of Joshua, not only in the book of Hebrews, but in the whole of the Bible. We're not the hero that we so often want to be. We're not the hero that outmatches uh, the, the battles and obstacles in our path. Rather, our God is that hero who, who uh, steps up to the plate and defeats the enemies that we face. Our calling isn't to be that hero, but rather to depend upon the Lord and trust in the resources that he provides. This is the story of Hebrews chapter 11 this is the story of Joshua chapters 5 and 6. No matter how great or small is the battle, if we're going to win, if we're going to experience some measure of victory, it will be along the pathway of dependence. It will be along the pathway of faith and trust in one who has more resources than we do, and that one is the Lord. How do we see that in our passage? How does it make it clear? First, by reminding us that the Lord shows up. It's the Lord who's with Joshua and the people of Israel, and the way that we see that is this enigmatic story that is coming before the uh, the time when the people of Israel circle the walls of Jericho, just as the people of Israel have come into the land of Canaan, there is one in Joshua's path, verse 13, chapter 5, this one with sword drawn, the commander, we're told, of the army of the Lord. And yet, clearly, this is no ordinary earthly commander, right? In verses 14 and 15, we see that this figure is identified as the Lord himself. This is what theologians refer to as a theophany, right? A pre-incarnate, visible manifestation of the living God. And we know that this is the Lord because of what this individual receives from Joshua. Look what Joshua does. He falls down prostrate in verse 14. 
before this enigmatic figure. He offers him his worship, and if this were a mere angelic messenger, then surely such worship would have been rejected. We see the angels in Revelation rejecting the worship that John the Apostle was wont to offer because they were not the living God. And yet Joshua here worships, and this being receives that worship. And just as significant as what we read in verse 15, there we're told that Joshua is to remove his sandals for the ground that you're standing upon is holy ground. And just as God had spoken to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 to remove his sandals, so God tells Joshua to remove his sandals for this ground to become holy. For, For what reason? Because in this place, the very presence of the Lord had come. And if that were not enough to convince us, verse 2 leaves us in no, uh, with no more doubt. But what does it say? And the Lord said, the Lord, you, you can see that word in all caps representing the divine name of our God, Yahweh, Yahweh had come to Joshua. Yahweh had come to speak to Joshua. And so that's the first thing for us to consider Right, it's the Lord himself who had come to Joshua's side. And even though it must have been a terrifying reality, at another level it must have been a great encouragement because here God was fulfilling the promise that he had given to Joshua earlier in chapter 1. That just as he had been with Moses, so would he be with Joshua. And friends, we have that same promise that same encouragement is ours today. Just, as, just after Jesus gave that last commandment prior to his ascension, right? that commandment that we know is the great commission, that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do all that Jesus had commanded. And yet, just after that commandment, we're given the great promise. And lo, behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Friends, as we go forth in battle, we do not go forth alone, but rather we go forth with the presence of our mighty God. This was Joshua's hope. And yet he hadn't learned all that he needed to learn. Right? Because of what comes next, that the Lord reveals whose battle this really is. Right? That this wasn't Joshua's battle. But Joshua doesn't yet know that. Because what what does he ask this enigmatic figure? He asks what you or I would have asked this figure. Who, Who are you for? Are you for us? Or are you for our adversaries? It's a scary confrontation. This is an individual that Joshua doesn't know. He's trying to think, are you going to help us in this battle or are you going to harm us in this battle? And the answer that he's given is all the stranger because the response comes back, no. And we already know this is the Lord. And so at one level, at some significant level, the Lord was for Joshua. So how ought we to interpret that response? And I like what James Boyce, the late James Boyce, says about this passage, that here the commander of the army of the Lord is reminding Joshua that this is not his fight, not Joshua's fight, 
but this is the Lord's fight. He's reframing Joshua's mission and the role that he was to play. Joshua thought going into Jericho that he was going to fight this battle, that he was going to muster the resources and gather his wits and defeat the dreaded Jericho. But was this individual going to help him or harm him? And yet by reminding Joshua, no, he's reframing, reorienting, repositioning Joshua in this battle. No, Joshua, I'm not going to help you, but I'm going to draw you into this battle that you might serve me. This is my fight. I have come to do battle. And when we think about the commander of the army of the Lord showing up in the battle of Jericho, it reminds us of two things, one positive, one negative, that surely God sees what we cannot see. There are resources to overwhelm that Joshua could not see. This is the commander of the army of the Lord who brought what? All of his heavenly host, unseen to Joshua. How are the Israelites going to defeat Jericho? Not with the resources that they had gathered, but rather with the resources that their God had brought. Resources that even Joshua could not see. And so it is for the believer that there are always more resources at our side than we can see. But there are also challenges that we cannot see. But why would the Lord show up if there were not also unseen enemies that would have overwhelmed, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, as he writes to the Ephesians. What does he say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as the people of Israel came up against Jericho, to be sure, a fortified foe, but they were also arrayed with the army of the prince of evil, one who was arrayed against the people of God. And so when we step back, what we learn is God's purpose was here not to help Joshua win the battle of Jericho, but to reorient Joshua to the battle that he himself had come to fight. That God was gonna lead Joshua into this battle. But it was the Lord's fight that was going to be fought. In my role as president now, but also my role as pastor, it can be easy, right, to think that my job is is to, well, get the Lord on my side, you know, to leverage that authority, to leverage that position so that he might help me accomplish my plans. And I'm guessing that you don't really have to be a seminary president or a pastor to think that way. We, we all are tempted to think that way. I've got God on my side. He's going to help me do what, what I'm supposed to do. He's going to baptize my plans and my agendas. And yet we come to this story and we ask, are you for me or against me? And God says, no. 
because he's not wanting to come to our side and fulfill our plans and our agendas, but rather he wants us to gather to his side, that we might fulfill his plans and his agendas, that we might get on board with what he's doing. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that plan. And that's why we hear the method, the strategy that our God employs, which brings us to the third point. The strategy, the plan that our God employs maximizes his glory and summons us to greater faith and dependence. And when you think about God's plan for overcoming the city of Jericho, it really makes no sense to us. To be sure, God guarantees the victory. We we can see that in verse 2. What does he say? See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor that the guarantee is nothing more, nothing less than the word of his promise. And yet we know that is sure. If God has said it, will he not do it? That this is what the prophet Isaiah shares with, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it and so will our God. If God has promised the city of Jericho, it will fall. It's not the promise or guarantee of its destruction. It's the strange method that he employs. My son is about to head into the United States Army, commissioned as an officer. He's been um, a student at Texas A&M in the Corps of Cadets, and he would tell you, reading this passage, there is nothing, absolutely nothing soldierly about it. It may be ceremonially significant, but not militarily strategic. Okay, march around the city. Gather your trumpets. Stretch your voices. Do it for six days. Then on the seventh, that's when the magic will happen. The magic. Draw your sword. No, shout. And the walls will come down. That's the strategy. That's the method. And of course, it's making the point, isn't it? This victory will not come according to the hands and feet of the people of Israel. This come will not come according to Joshua and his might, but according to the might and power of Almighty God. It was always going to be his fight according to his methods. I love what... Dale Ralph Davis says about the strangeness of the Lord's plans. Sometimes it seems God insists on bypassing his people's activity in order to enhance his own glory among his people. There could be no doubt who brought Jericho to its knees if the walls came down at the shout of God's people. It was the Lord. And if we can step back, we we can see that that message is just as relevant for us today. As we think about those concerns, those agendas that that gather our anxious thoughts, right? They they draw out that anxiety because we, we think that we so desperately need them to be realized. We so desperately need more success or more money or more influence or more harmonious relationships, or more power in Washington. And we think if this could just happen, our lives would finally work. 
And you're not wrong at some level, but not at the grandest level. Not at the most significant of levels because they are not the greatest concern and they will not bring us the greatest deliverance. And you already know in whom has found your greatest deliverance. And you know already that that battle has been fought and won on the cross at Calvary and in the one who came out from the tomb resurrected over every enemy that has assailed us, sin, death, and the devil. And that in him we have our triumph. But through the strangest of methods, the weakness of the cross, the shame of the cross, the one who gave up his rights that did not uh, um, suffer his rights. And yet we also know from Joshua chapter 5 and 6 that this is the commander of the army of the Lord. That just because his methods seem strange, it does not make them less powerful. And I think our Lord especially delights in these strange methods because not only do they maximize his glory, they summon us to greater dependence, greater faith, greater trust. Can you imagine? Okay, here's the plan. I want y'all to gather up, get your horns, not your swords. Put on your sandals and get walking. I want you to go around the city a lot. And I want you to do that for six days. And then at the end, this isn't when you gather your cannons. This is when you stretch those vocal cords. This is when you shout and you speak the victory of God. And the Lord will give it. I don't know what you need in order to live into that promise except for one thing, and that's faith. That there's only one reason why we, you would obey that promise, and that is that you believe the word of the Lord. And friends, that lesson still applies to us because our God is still applying strange methods to the people that he has called by his name. Why would we believe that our God answers prayer? Okay, here's the plan. I want you to talk to me about what's bothering you. I want you to throw all your anxieties up to me. And if you just come and ask, I will give you whatever you desire. So long as it's conformed unto my will. Pray. And hear my voice. I want you to study the Word of God. I want you to pour over its pages. I want its message to soak deeply into your soul that you might be transformed and more conformed according to the image and likeness of your Savior. I want this voice to be uppermost in your heart and mind. And and oh, by the way, I want you to let go of your agenda. I want you to cast that to the side. I want you to take not the second place, but the last place. I want you to be your neighbor's servant. I want you to sacrifice self in order for others. 
And according to this mysterious, strange way, so will my will, so will my purpose come to this earth and manifest my glory and bring praise to my salvation. I don't know of any other reason that we would believe any of that, that we would do any of that, that we would think any of that actually matters unless we have faith. Unless we believe that God will show up. And friends, that's the nature of God's faith. It always lies along the pathway of his gracious provision, the word of his promise. As we grow in his faith, it's always because that grace is empowering that growth that we might lay hold of those promises. And that's really how God's grace operates in our lives. It's summoning us to that deepening faith as we trust more in His Word, and He draws more of our lives out, oriented to His mission in this world. And so, as we wrestle with these battles, wherever they are, our calling is not to say to God, Lord, this doesn't make sense. I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Our calling is to say, Lord, I don't understand, but give me grace to follow you. Give me grace to follow you, even though this is not making clear sense to me. And as we follow the Lord, as we move down that pathway of dependence, we will discover not our victory, but His victory. That victory in Christ will more and more wash over our hearts and over our lives and over the people in our lives as He arms us with these promises and uses these strange methods to realize both His glory and our joy in this thing we call the Christian life. And friends, if we don't, we may secure victories of sorts along the way. I mean, temporary. But they will not last because you are not Jason Bourne. You're not Ethan Hunt, but we're not Brian Mills, that no matter how spectacular or powerful or righteous, we are not the Savior. We're not the holy commander of the army of the Lord, that there is only one hero that secures the victory And he is the one who summons our faith. And his name is Jesus. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who came that day for Joshua and the people of Israel, who comes this day for us. And we pray that you might make us believe and even embrace those strange methods of prayer and service and meditation upon your holy word, that you might make us to be your servants of the gospel and kingdom in this world, all for your glory. We pray it in the name of our Savior and King. Amen.